Welcome to the Master Passive Income Show. My name is Dustin Heiner, and I'm here to help you learn how to quit that J-O-B, that just overbroke job, by investing in real estate so you never, ever have to work a job again. Today, we're gonna be talking about how you can buy low-cost Airbnb or short-term properties and make a lot of money and profit. See, we always think maybe buy in Hawaii or in the mountains or the Alps or something like that, spend a lot of money for Airbnb. Well, you don't have to do that. You can buy inexpensive homes and still make five times the amount of profits you would from a long-term property. All right, let's start the show. Welcome to the Master Passive Income Podcast, where we talk about investing in real estate with a special focus on making enough money so you can quit your job and live the dream life. And now, here is your host, Dustin Heiner. Hey, what's going on? I am so glad to have you here on the show with me now. I love having my podcast, being able to talk to you about so many great things about real estate investing and even talking about things that I'm doing, especially me talking about the things that I do in my own personal real estate investing business. See, I started investing back in 2006 before the crash and I saw the crash happen and I was... Well, I didn't really know exactly what I was doing, but I knew I was investing for passive income because I wanted to basically become successfully unemployed. And through 2007, 2008, prices were going up and then the crash in 2008 and 2009. And I saw so many people go bankrupt. Everything stopped. It was rough for everybody. But then I realized, my goodness, my, uh, I guess, idea to just make passive income, not even worrying about appreciation and making money every single month, $250 a month in passive income. That's $3,000 a year from one property. 10 properties is $2,500 a month, $30,000 a year. 20 properties making you $250 a month. That's $5,000 a month in passive income total and $60,000 a year in passive income. That's without working. And I realized that if I just had enough properties, I can quit my job. But what I didn't realize was that all the other people that were going broke and going bankrupt in the crash of 2009, well, I didn't experience any of that. In fact, my rents went up. I made more money because I'm investing for passive income. Now, a lot of people invest for appreciation, which appreciation is great, but I'm going to be giving these properties to my kids. I'm creating generational wealth. And recently, I just did a webinar where I did a forecast or not necessarily a prediction. I'm not, uh, I'm not a prophet or anything, but did a forecast of what I think is going to happen in the real estate market. I'm not going to give it away, but in the description, and in fact, I talked about this last week, but in the description, I actually put the link for you can go watch the replay. I put it on YouTube. Go and literally watch the entire thing. And in the very end, I give you a huge discount promo deal to get on my or in my Real Estate Wealth Builders membership. I give you a huge deal so that you can get started. But I definitely want to show you what I'm seeing in the real estate market and what I'm looking forward to in 2023. In fact, I am so excited. Now, a lot of people aren't about the economy and how things are getting bad, but I'm so excited because us as real estate investors, this is going to be the best time ever to buy real estate. And I wish I had enough money or I wish I was ready. Like I am now back in 2008, nine and 10, when the market was amazing, I would be so much farther along than I am now. And so with you learning how to invest right now, this is going to be the absolute best time for you to be investing. So you need to be ready. Now you need to be surfing before the wave comes. Basically, when you surf, you paddle before the wave gets to you because you wanna be able to have enough momentum to carry you into that wave, catch the wave and ride it on in. Well, if you start paddling 
after the wave passes you, you won't be able to catch that wave. Same thing with real estate investing. We need to be prepared and ready. So that's why I'm glad you're here every single week listening to the podcast. And now I am bringing on a friend of mine who came, he actually came to the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference this last year. And in 2023, we're going to have it again, the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference again, where he is going to come and share again about how he and his students do short-term rental properties. Now, not the type that you would think of, like, let's buy in Hawaii and go visit once a year for like, you know, a week and then rent it out the rest of the time where we spend a million, two million dollars on the property. No, we are looking at properties that are less expensive and we can still make Airbnb. He gives a lot of tips on how to make sure that you're actively making more money from your properties, how to buy lower priced homes, how to actually even make sure that you're able to have your short-term properties in cities that don't allow you to even have short-term properties. He has got the answers. I am super pumped to bring on a friend of mine, Kirby Atwell from Living Off Rentals on the show. All right, here we go. Kirby, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Dustin, it's an honor to be back. I love doing anything that uh, that you're a part of. So I appreciate you having me here, man. It's, it's terrific. And I love how a lot of my students said, man, I really wanted short-term rentals. And I was like, what? Kirby's definitely your guy. Like, I could definitely help you, but Kirby has this down. So work with Kirby. But now, when we're thinking about the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference, so you came and you saw the value of really just helping other people. And in fact, that's the reason why I brought you. I said, hey, and for everybody, whoever wants to be a speaker at RubeCon, it's invite only. And so right now we have literally 35 speakers, expert investors that have their own audiences, they have their own, uh, you know, teaching and all that sort of stuff. But we're all coming together to help everybody out. And so Kirby, talk to us a little bit about your background, and then we'll jump in because I really want our audience to learn how to do this uh, short-term rentals in the non-traditional sense, but still making a lot of money. So talk to us about you, and then we'll dive right into short-term rentals. Sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, happy to give a, a bit of an overview. I, I, I know I was on a previous episode, so people can go go back and listen to the longer um, bio, I guess, there. But um, really, I mean, my real estate investing uh, strategy that I'm that I currently do with this kind of non-traditional vacation rental model stemmed out of you know in in 2016 I, I was pretty much broke um, and uh, at the time it's kind of kind of funny because I thought I was doing all the right things and so it was um, it it was maybe people can relate to this you know they they feel like they they've been doing a lot of the right things that they're supposed to be doing but they found themselves from a financial standpoint really not making any progress. And that's where I was at. I had gone to a really good school. I went to West Point Military Academy, uh, graduated there, served six years as an army officer. Then in 2011, got out, got my MBA. While I was getting my MBA, I started my first real estate uh, company and it was a flipping company. And I thought, well, this is the way people make a bunch of money in real estate, you know, is flipping houses. And, and so I, I partnered with two partners and we grew that company in the Chicago area, um, to be, you know, uh, one of the, the higher volume flippers in the Chicago area. And we flipped about 70 properties from 2011 to 2016. And then in 2016, I look up and I'm like, you know, I'm in the exact same financial position that I was in before I started. And we had literally made millions of dollars in revenue over that five years when you look at all the properties we sold. 
But then you start to account for the cost of those properties, the cost of the rehabs, the cost of the overages, the cost of all the vanity metric things that we thought we needed, like getting an office and staff and, you know, the, the marketing campaigns and all the things that you just keep pouring back in your company that no one talks about. Um, you know, they just look at the gross profit, quote unquote, and then you pay taxes on all that at the highest tax rate. Um, and there's never anything left over. It's just and just enough to scrape by. And so that was the existence. And on top of that, we started doing a lot more volume, higher end properties. So we needed a whole bunch more capital. And so the stress level was through the roof and we weren't making any money. So I was, it was like on this hamster wheel that, that just sucked. Um, and so that's when in 2016, I discovered what, what I know you've discovered as well, this power of passive income and this power of cash flow. Um, and that's when I totally transitioned uh, into rental properties. Um, and initially it was was longer term rentals for for a little bit, but then I uh, discovered short term rentals and this this non traditional short term rental model that I that I do now, um, and we just fell in love with it. And that's what's given us financial freedom, given us a lifestyle by design, um, and it's truly it's, it's changed my family's future. With the idea of going from actively having a job, like that's what you do when you have when you're flipping or wholesaling, you have a job. It's not bad. Like it's, I'm not saying don't do it, but if you need money, you need capital mm-hmm. to be able to start um, your investing career, then then definitely. I mean, it's a way to start making money, but you're right. working day in and day out. Now, when you get into buy and hold, changes your life because you have money coming in without you doing anything. Now, you found the non-traditional type of Airbnb or short-term rental properties in 2016. And it's terrific having these short-term because usually you get a lot more in revenue, like total gross rents because you're renting it up per day as opposed to per month or per year. And with that does come some expenses, higher expenses, but you get higher revenues. Now, what is this non-traditional way of doing short-term rentals? Yeah. So what I think that the uh, a common misconception or trap or, or thought process, I guess, that people kind of can fall into when it comes to short-term rentals or Airbnbs or vacation rentals, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, sh- shorter rentals is that they think of the traditional vacation spots as the only place that it works. So, you know, ski in, ski out mountains, beachfront properties, the places that you're going to, you know, Disney world, the places that you go to vacation. Um, and they overlook the fact that this literally works, this model of short-term rentals works in thousands of, of locations. And it can work in my opinion, much, much better, much safer, um, you know, much higher ROI, in areas that you wouldn't think, you know, anyone would ever travel to, especially if you live on the West coast and you're like, why would anyone travel to Indiana, which is where we're at. And and we have 20 vacation rental listings here that work phenomenally well. So, so what I started to look around when I, I started researching this, we moved from Chicago over to Indiana. And initially we, we said, well, let's just try it in our basement. Let's try. Uh, we keep hearing about Airbnb. This is back to 2017. Um, and we said, let's just try it, you know, turn our basement that's unfinished. It's a walkout basement into a one bedroom apartment and see what happens. Um, and so that's what we did. And over that first summer, we made $22,000 renting out this tiny one bedroom basement. 
And I thought to myself, I have entire rental houses that don't make $22,000 the whole year. Um, and we just made that in like a three month span. So, um, so I said, if we could scale this, there's something to this and we're not in like a crazy, you know, high end vacation area. We, that house was right on Lake Michigan, but I started looking around and realizing that there's houses not on the water, not in crazy vacation areas that are doing really well. And you can buy them for the same cost that I was buying long-term rentals for. And then in a worst case scenario, I can always convert those back to long-term rentals and they still cash flow. So I'm covered on all fronts. But in the meantime, while I'm using them as short-term rentals, they're making three or four times the cash flow. Three or four times the cash flow sounds terrific. Now there are more expenses. Now with the more expenses is because you have more turnover. Like I love that my tenants literally stay in there for five, six, seven or more years. And I don't even have to talk to them. They don't move. They don't transfer out. Like everything is awesome. I just love it. But at the same time, my profits are lower, but they're more fixed in a sense. With mm-hmm. the short-term rentals, there's more expenses. Talk to us about these expenses that we have to watch out for as we're going to convert these into short-term rentals. And another, we'll get to this because I really want to know, what about the rougher areas? Or like if it's not a destination city, should we still do that? But let's start with expenses. What type of expenses should we worry about? And how do we manage these properties, which, you know, it's part of the expenses is managing. Right, exactly. Yeah. So there's there's higher income, obviously, because you're renting it for a shorter period of time. So it's a nightly income. Um, but the, uh, and then there's higher expenses because you're paying for cleaning, you're paying for now the utilities, you're paying for the lawn and snow removal, you're paying for, um, consumables like, you know, toilet paper and paper towels and cleaning products, you know, and so, and I want to pause for a quick second and share that. Honestly, I really want you to invest in real estate. My new goal in my life, my first goal was to quit my job in 10 years. And I did that accomplished at 37. Now my new goal is to help 1 million people invest in real estate. So two things I would ask from you. Number one, if you get anything out of this episode, please share it with somebody else. Just say, Hey, you know, check out Dustin and master passive income. He really wants to help a million people to invest in real estate. That's number one. Number two, I want to get you you to invest in real estate, get my real estate investing course absolutely for free. Text the word rental, R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777. Rental to 33777. I'll literally give you my course, show you how to find an area of the country to invest, how to build the business first. You know, I always talk about that and how to find the right properties, how to make sure you're getting experts to do the work for you and scale the business to where you're making $250 or more in passive income, scale it to quit your job. I'll literally get to you or go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course. Obviously, it'll be in the description, but I really, really want you to invest in real estate because the more that actual normal everyday people own real estate that are good landlords, the better everybody's life gets. So yeah, there's definitely more expenses, more income uh, as well. And so you've got you've to balance those out. Um, and so what I, I tell people that sort of the ideal set up for these non-traditional vacation rentals is to start in more affordable markets, generally like the Midwest and Southeast. And I always look within an hour drive of larger cities. Sometimes it can be, you know, even 15 minutes to the larger city. But what you'll find is that if you look in the city, you know, a, a average purchase price might be $400,000 for a city, say, you know, I, I don't know, Louisville, Kentucky, or um, Nashville or Indianapolis or, you know, one of these Midwestern cities. And then 20 minutes right outside the city, there's a town where the average purchase price is, is closer to a hundred thousand dollars. So it's a fourth of the cost and the nightly rate downtown 
Indianapolis, just as an example, I don't know if this is what it is, but it, this is what you'll commonly see is maybe it's like, you know, $200 a night downtown. And then outside it's, it's 150 a night. So, you know, it drops 25% in terms of nightly rate, but you get the property for four times less. So ROI wise, you're, you're getting this phenomenal return on your investment. And again, going back to the benefits of, you know, if you have to convert it to a long-term rental, it's easier to rent out a hundred thousand dollar house than it is a $400,000 house. Um, so, so that's where you start to see the cash flow shift a, a whole lot because your expenses now are extremely low. You still have extra expenses um, than you would on a on a long-term rental, but cash flow wise, you know, you've got that $150 a night, you know, maybe a 70% occupancy rate. And so, you know, your your net income after all is said and done tends to be really, really high. I love that. Now with uh, managing it, do you manage these yourself or because I love, and that's what we do at Master Passive Income, we try to make it as automated as possible. We don't want to have to do anything. In fact, for all my properties, I maybe work 30 minutes a month. Like that book, that four-hour work week, that's for suckers. I don't want to work four hours a week. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to work four hours a month. I want to work 30 minutes. And so how do we make it automated, especially in these outside cities? You know, Because obviously inside a city like Louisville, like you're going to have a lot of people, a lot of property managers that would want to manage the properties. Outside of that, maybe not so not so much. But how do we make sure that we can manage it? And can we make it automatic so that it's managed and so that as best we can, we don't have to actually do anything in the business? Yeah, it's it's a good question. Um, and I I think the intuitive thing that, to, to believe is that it's much, much more hands-on. Um, and, it, and it is, I guess, in terms of the the day to day what needs to be done, but what I found is that the tasks that need to be done can be automated much easier than long term rentals, or you can have control over it more because um, it's it lends itself to the online world so much more because it's you know it's it's built around like the Airbnb type of platform. So you know so so basically what I tell people is I think it's crazy to to pay it. A property manager, especially if you're just doing one property um, initially, you know, maybe once you get to larger scale, if 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 it's too time consuming, then I then I think you know outsourcing that makes sense. But for for a vacation rental manager, most of the time it's fit 20, 20 to thirty percent. So twenty five percent is is typically the average that you're going to see. And so to pay twenty five percent of your gross revenue is a lot of of income. It sure um, is. And so. You know, I, I, I recommend, I, and I what I teach people is to line up a great handyman and a great cleaner and to have really good systems up front to where everything that can come up boots on the ground is explained to them and they're responsible for those items, which I didn't do in the beginning. So I thought I needed to buy it close by. I needed to be involved. And so when the Wi-Fi would go out for a guest, I'd be driving over there. When a guest couldn't get in the, the lock, I'd drive over there. And I realized after about a year of that, that I was my own worst enemy and that this could easily be outsourced. This could be systematized to where I could have a local handyman who's on call do these items and it doesn't really cost a whole lot, but it just comes down to having the right systems in place. So I self-manage quote unquote, even though I haven't visited some of my properties in six, eight months, 
even though they're, you know, 20 minutes down the road, because I've got just great people in place that are there to do that. And then once we got to five properties, that's when we brought on a guest relations person who actually lives in Florida and she's worked for us for the last two years and has never been to Michigan City, Indiana, where we invest. Um, but she probably knows the town better than most residents because she takes all the bookings, answers all the questions, lines up the handyman, lines up the cleaner. Um, and so day to day, it's pretty hands off. Um, but yet we're paying far less than 25% of our revenue for it. And I think that any business that you would ever get into, if you figure out how to do it yourself, there is X, Y, and Z, there's steps we call them SOPs or standard operating procedures. If this happens, then make sure this happens. You're going to figure that out yourself. It'd be great if you just write it down and then you can hire somebody like a virtual assistant or somebody, your, your, your cousin, or, you know, you can hire other people to literally do this work for you in any business. I literally have four, no, five businesses now, four or five businesses now. And with those, I hire other people to do the work. Now they're blessed with a good pay and taking care of, um, you know, them and their family. But at the same time, they're helping me alleviate the burden of my brain on these tasks. But it, if, if it's a task that you can do, you can easily offload that to somebody else. You just need to make sure it's documented and you find the right people. So you have a handyman and cleaning people. Now, the handyman, I guess, like they would handle the Wi-Fi. Do you have to train them up on every specific property? Or is it like, it, it seems like a handyman should be able to do most things. Is there, a, like, give us some in, any tips that you have to find a really good handyman. They'll be able to take care of the majority of things in the property. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, for both the handyman and cleaner, you can kind of go two different routes. You can hire an independent contractor directly who it's like, it's one person that you're hiring and they're the ones doing the work, or you can hire a service. Um, so like if you hire a cleaning service, you're going to talk to somebody in the office and then there's probably going to be a different cleaner cleaning that property each time. And most of the time, those are pretty low wage earners that are, that are actually doing the cleaning they're paid on getting through the property as quickly as possible, how you know fast, how many pro cleanings they can knock out. So their interest isn't necessarily as aligned. So our our um, the the one the one that's worked best for us is the independent contractor in both regards. Um, so for a handyman, what we found is our typical handyman is either somebody who's really young, kind of getting started. I hired a guy um, who was in the Army National Guard, just worked construction all through high school, and you know, a young guy uh, wanting to you know do something while he's not you know deployed or or working in the guard. Um, and then also we hired a retired union um, construction guy who you know knows construction inside and out has now time on his hands, doesn't want to fully retire, but yet doesn't want to work full-time either. And so lives locally there and he's been incredible, um, you know, cause he just has a lot of free time on his hands and that's what you need is somebody who's available because you can't plan out all these things. And so he has kind of a small handyman business, but I think we're probably his main client at this point. Um, and so that's what you want to have. We don't have to train him on every task that comes up um, and we don't use him all the time, but you need to have somebody who's available. And then as we've grown more properties, we've kind of graduated one of our cleaners into the head cleaner. And so now she's responsible for all the inventory for all the properties. So, she, so we have an inventory checklist in each closet at each property. As it gets below a certain point, 
she restocks those inventory closets. And then she also does spot checks on all the other cleaners too. So it's taken that responsibility off of our shoulders as well. So she can, you know, incorporate that. And then we just pay her per, you know, uh, resupply. She typically does, you know, a few a month of, of all the properties. And, uh, it's well worth our time not to have to go to Costco and resupply all the, the properties ourselves, like we used to do as well. I love that you're offloading things, especially when you, and what I love to do is I make sure when I'm building my business or buying the next property, all those expenses that come up like a property management expense or soap and shampoo and like all that stuff that you kind of want to make it kind of like a hotel type of thing, but you make sure those expenses are accounted for before you buy the property. So they're already baked into the cost of doing business and you're making sure that you're making money on top. Now with these short-term properties that people can get a little hesitant on, obviously it looks great, like, cause you're making a lot of money, a lot more money, which is terrific. But if something like, uh, you know, the government shuts everything down all again, uh, where nobody travels and all that sort of stuff, what do you do to mitigate the loss of rents? I know we can always, I love that you do this, that you can go into long-term, hey, let's just put a long-term tenant in there. It'll work out just fine. What do you do also outside of just, you know, putting a long-term tenant to mitigate these losses if there is something that shuts down the entire like travel industry? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a great point. You know, there's... When you look at going back to the two different strategies, when you look at the traditional vacation rental strategy, almost every market where traditional vacation rentals that, you know, the first places you would think of like the Smoky Mountains or Destin, Florida, or, you know, all of these have appreciated 25, 30, 50% at least over the last couple of years. Um, and people are still buying in those areas because a cabin that you're buying for 750, 800,000 still makes sense from a cash flow perspective so you can justify it. So people, you know, people that's the first place they think of and so they're like, well, that's what everyone else is doing, so it makes sense. But like you said, what if something changes, you know? And it can. And if it did and you're holding an $800,000 cabin in the Smoky Mountains, what's the backup plan then? Do you do does everyone sell them all at once? Cuz probably not going to get 800,000 if all the cabins are being listed all at once. Do you rent it as a long-term rental? So I, I, I would worry a lot about that strategy if that was the one I was adopting, um, just because, you know, if things aren't as great as they have been, then what? Um, but what, what I recommend to people in terms, of, especially just for, from a regulatory standpoint, I avoid the big cities to start with. You know, I, I always advise outside the cities, again, going back to the ROI, but on top of that, the big cities are where the, the most bureaucracy is. You know, everyone defaults there because they think, well, that's where all the people are, but you can get rented just as much outside of the cities. And I equate it to like starting a race with weights tied around your legs with all the government restrictions. Like, why would you want to start with a whole bunch of obstacles in front of you that they're setting up when just outside, 20 minutes down the road, they're welcoming you with open arms and there's no obstacles. So I look for the places where they've already made a rule that's favorable towards short-term rentals, which most places with a decent amount of population have made some sort of rule and they span the gamut. There's like a hundred different rules. It's not just like we allow them or we don't allow them. It's like every type of variation that a city council could ever come up with is that there's a variation of the rules. So look at, you know, the city council rules and see, are they favorable toward vacation rentals or does it make sense to, to your investing model? 
and invest in the places that already have made that rule. Or if they haven't, you can still see a lot of times they've talked about it and you can kind of see what the sentiment is. So like in the area where I invest, you just have to register at the city. You just have to give them your name. There's no fee. There's no inspection. They make it very simple because they want to bring in as much business as, as they can um, to this area. Right down the street, they've outlawed it. You know, They said, people are grandfathered in. This is the town right next door. People are grandfathered in that have them, but no new ones are coming in. So, um, so it varies so much city to city, but then going, so, so you want to pick the place that you think is going to work the best for short-term rentals, and then always have that backup plan in your back pocket that if the worst case scenario happens and I do have to convert them back, they still make sense as the long-term rentals. Do you have any other creative ways of mitigating governments that actually say no short-term rentals? It's sad, but this money that is now going to short-term rentals it used to all go to hotels. And when I say it's sad, it's the money's, it's not the different, it's not more money now going to short term. Mm-hmm. It was all just going to hotels. They were just making bank. And so hotels are not happy that yeah, yeah. normal mom and pops like us are siphoning off some of their business. Just like taxi cabs are not liking Uber and Lyft because they're taking some, they're their business. So they're lobbying against that. Now, if a city does enact something where it says no short term rentals, I I actually think it might be good to read actual law. Like if it says you can't rent for less than, you know, 30 days, well then rent 31 or, you know, 32 or something like that. I've also heard a creative way is if you do a, like a rental arbitrage where let's say you own the property and then you create another company that you lease long-term to this other company, but the people stay that are coming in because it's a long-term lease but the other company is also doing the Airbnb, which it definitely can be skirting around the law. But any other creative ways to get around this? Because they could keep passing laws to say no short-term properties that you can rent. Even HOAs or homeowners associations, they do the same thing. What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, those are those are great. Um, th- those are, you know, you can get pretty creative with it. Another strategy that I recommend to people is that when they pass res- very restrictive laws in a certain area, that's desirable, that actually is a huge blessing if you want to invest in that area, because all you have to do is just invest in the town just outside of the city limits that has (laughs) favorable laws, because they did not change the demand in any way whatsoever. All they did is just restrict supply. So now if you're right across the border, say this whole town or this whole county is restricted, and you're right across the border. The way people search on Airbnb is they say, I want to stay in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and they pull up a map. Well, it's a wide out map. So if you're just outside of the city limits of Gatlinburg, and that's where it's restricted, not that it is there, but as an example, you're going to get all those spillover bookings, all the, the demand just outside. Um, so most of the time, you don't see a whole lot of flip-flopping on the laws. It's like, Unless there's some major change that that happens, you know, if if they're just overrun by short-term rentals or something like that, but typically they the city council takes a stance says this is what the the rule is the first time, and then that's what it is. So if you can find a place that's favorable, you you tend to be in a a pretty good position investing there. But again, the the hotels are going to have the biggest stronghold in the larger cities, um, and and the other thing to keep in mind too is that. Enforcement and law are two totally different things. And and I've seen laws where it's like, you can only rent to somebody if you're in the house with them. And it's like, is the mayor going to come like look in the window and just make sure that you're sitting in the house with your guests? Like, you know, so 
how do you monitor that? How do you even enforce that? Like you, you're not re- restricting it from being on Airbnb in that town. So you can take the bookings and then somebody's going to actually show up to the house to like peek in to make sure you're sitting. So it's just kind of, some of them are ridiculous when it, and so you have to kind of weigh that out too. And just, you know, um, do what you think is right and makes the most sense. And I think you're right too. Always having the end backup being, you can do a long-term rental. Like that's always like, if everything goes bad, completely bad, you could definitely do a long-term rental. So the people that get in just like the Hawaii or the Smoky Mountains are like, they have this, they have to, they have to rent it as a short-term in order to not be losing money. That's very dangerous in my opinion. Man, Kirby, so this is great. So I want people to know how to find you. Obviously, you're going to be at RubeCon. So if anybody, if you want to meet and hang out with Kirby, you're going to be a part of that. We're also having a function in RubeCon called the Military Wealth Builders Track. So it's going to be a track on military and helping if you're a veteran or if you're active. If you come, we're going to have a lot for military as well. And obviously, Kirby, thank you so much for serving our great country. And you're going to be there helping in the military wealth builders as well. But how can people find you and connect with you online? Yeah, and I I just want to say, too, I I started uh, real estate investing pretty much full time in 2011 when I transitioned out of the military. And I kind of came up learning through self-education. So I've gone to a ton of conferences over the years, especially in the beginning. Um, and now I kind of make it a point not to go to conferences because I, uh, I found that there were a lot of, for some reason, this industry attracts a lot of, uh, people that just don't, don't share the same values that, that you or I have. Um, and so I just want to say that I was just blown away last year with RubeCon, um, how, high value the conference was, how, how well it was put together, especially for the first one, when you're working out, you know, how it's even going to go, you have no model to, to go off of. Um, and it was just amazing the, 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 the caliber of people that were there, the things that I learned even after, you know, doing this for over a decade, uh, was incredible. So, um, so I am honored to come back, uh, and speak again and, and just be a part of it again. So, um, yeah, so I'll definitely be there. And then if, if people want to check out my other stuff, uh, my platform's called living off rentals. The best place to go is just living off rentals.com backslash start. Um, and that's, uh, that, that's the initial information about, you know, how to get started with, with short-term rentals. Love it, man. And you have your own podcast. So everybody check out his podcast as well. And man, Kirby, I'm so glad that you're part of the uh, RubeCon and being a part of this whole community of investors. So thank you so much for being on the show and just really just sharing all this wealth because it's so much better when we help each other, when we gather together to make investing better. So Kirby, great to see you again, man. I'll see you soon. Thanks. I appreciate it. And that is it for today. Go ahead and get my free real estate investing course. Text the word rental to 33777. R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777. You can also join my Real Estate Wealth Builders group coaching. Get all my courses. All right, guys, we'll see you in the next show. See ya.